HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. The Farm Bill deadline of September 30th is fast approaching, so today I'm bringing you a special bonus episode, a conversation with United States Congresswoman Shelley Pingree. Representative Pingree is a former organic farmer and has been a longtime advocate for policies that support farmers and contribute to building a healthier, more sustainable food system in her home state of Maine and across the country. I caught up with her on Thursday, September 20th to chat about the Farm Bill and other pressing policy issues facing farmers right now. Hello, Representative Pingree. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Farm Report. It's a pleasure Uh to be with you. Yeah. So are you in Maine today or in D.C.? Uh, yeah, we're in Maine. Congress is out of session this week, so it's nice to have a chance to be spending time in Maine and catching up up here. Right. And and so we can start there because I know you had Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue in Maine for a farm tour yesterday. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what your goal for the visit was? Were there specific things you wanted to show him in terms of what's happening in agriculture in your state? Um, yeah, we've gotten to know Secretary Purdue. I'm on the Agriculture Appropriations Committee, so we have oversight of the USDA budget. Um, and I frequently have talked to him about agricultural issues in Maine, uh, um, issues that we care about, and we've always invited him to visit our state. So we were very happy when he said he wanted to. And I think what we thought was most important for him to see was um, what is going on in New England agriculture. You know, he's a Georgia farmer and he deals with you know, commodity groups and agricultural groups from across the country. But we're, we think what's going on in New England is a, you know, a real resurgence in a whole variety of areas, whether it's organic farming or diversified farm or farm to table or farmers markets. And we just wanted him to see it firsthand because it's one thing to try to explain it to somebody um, in Washington, D.C., but I think having him see um, what we were doing here was was really important. So we hosted a visit, um, a farmer hosted a visit on um, her family farm. And uh, then we had about 15 or 20 
individuals who were either farming themselves or represented, you know, young farmers or organic farmers. And we asked each of them at a round table to, to speak to Secretary Purdue for a couple of minutes about federal programs that they use, issues that they're having, or just give them a little more description about the agricultural revitalization that's going on in our state and, and how USDA could be helpful to that. Right. And what were some of the um, things that they talked to him about? Like, were there specific programs that a lot of them brought up in terms of what they're using, how the, the government is supporting their work? Absolutely. There was, um, there was, there was a big range of programs that people considered important um, and issues that they talked to him about and how they felt, you know, the USDA could be more responsive. I think for a lot of young farmers or beginning farmers, um, obviously there's the beginning farmers and ranchers program, but also um, technical assistance, access to capital. A lot of farmers in Maine use programs like value-added producer grants, EQIP. Um, People talked about um, trying to incorporate renewable energy onto their farm, uh, the importance of um, cooperative extension service. Uh, it, it really, it kind of ran the gamut of things that I think have been really important to small to medium-sized farmers. Infrastructure came up as a big issue, which we know is a problem in our state, but I think a lot of other states are experiencing it, and that's everything from slaughterhouse capacity, um, food hubs, uh, ability to aggregate foods, commercial kitchens, um, things that that make it possible for small farmers to engage in bigger markets or small farmers to grow into medium-sized farmers. Um, FISMA, people's concern about food safety modernization was also an issue. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. The infrastructure question comes up a lot. And I, in conversations I have with farmers, the specifically access to slaughterhouses seems to come up over and over and over. Really, um, a lot of people are, are trying to figure that out and dealing with it, it seems like. Yeah, well, I think consumers are increasingly interested in buying locally raised meat. Mm-hmm. And uh, in most communities, there's not the capacity. There certainly aren't enough USDA um, slaughterhouses and um, there are issues around state certified slaughterhouses. And if, if that's what you use, um, you know, there are prohibitions on taking your, your, your meat to a, uh, across a state line and, you know, New England's very small. So we have farmers who may produce here in Maine, but want to sell things in Boston or they go to a farmer's market in New Hampshire. And so there's regulatory issues, but then there's just capacity issues. Um, and I think, because there's so much consumer demand, which is a great thing, um, the role of USDA is to help support, you know, those things that would make it easier for farmers to sell into the market. Right. So, and and that's actually, this is a perfect segue into talking about one of the programs that you proposed in the Farm Bill, which is LAMP, the Local Agriculture Market Program. Um, can you talk a little bit about, a little bit about how that program specifically would strengthen um, the USDA programs that support small farms and local food? Well, our idea was to combine some of the programs, the smaller programs that farmers often access, and really more than anything else, get them permanent funding. Um, right now, some of the programs that, that we were talking about that we really care about um, don't have any kind of permanent funding. So every year, we have to go back and make sure there's appropriations for them. 
But a lot of the programs that, again, they support value-added agriculture, um, things that support local and regional farm systems, they're just really important. And our idea was that if we could if we could put them together, make it easier um, to apply, you know, for one, but also qualify for another one and not have to have separate applications and separate systems for everything, um, it, it would just make it a more user-friendly system for the farmer and basically guarantee a future for them. Right. And the money would just be there um, for the entire length of the next farm bill cycle. That's the idea. Yeah. And um, you know, that's just, there's so much unpredictability now with, with annual budgets. And um, we, we've been very frustrated with the first two years of this administration's budgets, because a lot of the programs that really are, they're small, um, small, but mighty, you know, we often say they're just, they're really make a difference, like a value added producer grant, the things that, you know, help people put hoop houses out in the field or conservation measures or, um you know, allow a small goat farmer to turn into a goat dairy, you know, all those things that really help people ramp up to the next stage. Um, Many of them get zeroed out in the administration's budget. So we spend our time, you know, fighting to put them back in. And while we've had bipartisan support to do that, um, there's just a lot more things we could do with our time if some of these programs were automatic and they were grouped together. Right. Well, and some of those programs, the small but mighty ones we're talking about, um, they will basically run out of funding at the end of the month if the farm bill doesn't pass, um, right? Like the value added producer grants. Um, and I've heard a lot of advocacy groups that are sounding alarms about that. Um, would you say that's a big issue? And also just would love your thoughts on what you think um, the, the chances that the farm bill will actually be passed by the deadline? Um, you're right in saying that some of these small programs, if they, if the farm bill doesn't pass by September 30th, um, they will, the funding will run out. And that means a lot of small farms can't apply for those programs and there'll be a lot of uncertainty around them. And, uh, September 30th is basically around the corner and it doesn't look to me like, um, there'll be a consensus around the farm bill. Most of the holdup as people know, is around the SNAP benefit program and the House, um, the Republicans in the House who basically did the farm bill in a um, non, in a, let's see, a, they didn't include the Democrats in the bill. It wasn't bipartisan. And they put a lot of restrictions on the SNAP benefit program that many of us find ex- unacceptable. Mm-hmm. In the Senate, they had a very bipartisan process and, and I think we're all very supportive of the work that was done in the Senate, but getting agreement between the House and Senate Republicans right now has been extremely difficult. And I think it makes most of us feel that there will not be an agreement in the next week, which means there will be a delay there. I'm assuming there'll be a continuing resolution. And my guess would be that will postpone um, passage of the farm bill till what's called the lame duck session or after election sometime between November election in the end of the year, but it could go on even longer than that. Um, as people may recall, the last farm bill was delayed, I think, a full year before it finally passed. Yeah. Okay. And so most of the programs in the farm bill don't run out of funding. It's just really those small ones. I think that would be the most affected. Um, but are there other um, are there other farm bill programs that um, you're currently really paying attention to that you think will have a really big impact on the food system in the next few years? 
Yeah, there are a lot of things that we've worked on um, in this farm bill that, again, have made it into the Senate version. So we're very happy about that and hoping that the Senate will prevail. Um, one of those is an issue that's really important to us, and that's around organic research. Um, when we when we analyze the spending in the department in previous years, um, I think the spending on organic research by the USDA compared to the rest of the research that they do um, was about, it was like less than 1%, one-tenth of 1% of the money goes to organic research. Yet we have this huge growth going on in the market. I think today it's something around 13% of the market is is organic um, food. So you, you know there's huge interest in the on the part of consumers, but we end up importing a lot of organic food into the country because we're not producing enough. Usually it's the commodities, grains, corn, um, wheat, a variety of other things. But our feeling is this would be the right time to put more money into research. Um, and I think our total was about $50 million. So it's still not an enormous amount compared to the entire budget of the USDA for research. But it's a way to say to farmers, look, we're helping uh, to look at you know new techniques, seed varieties that are important. You don't want to just say to farmers, okay, go be an organic farmer, but um, you know use the same techniques that people used in the 1800s. We know a lot more about farming. We have a lot to deal with around uh, climate change and, and different weather patterns. Uh, and there's just a lot we could be doing. So anyway, that's a really important one to us. And we're anxious to make sure it stays in the farm bill. Um, and we have a couple of other programs. Um, we're very involved in um, the areas of food waste. Um, something like 40% of the food in this country gets wasted. And and there's some provisions in the farm bill to help reduce food waste. And one other one that we're working on is uh, a produce prescription pilot program. We recently uh, joined with some Republicans in the House to start a food as medicine caucus. And it's really to look at more of the importance of food and nutrition and healthy food in um, in keeping people healthy. And one of the pilot programs we'd like to see the government uh, attempt is is around allowing practitioners to write prescriptions for healthy produce for their patients. It would be a way to you know, help put more healthy food on the tables of families that can't always afford them and, and could use the support. And a good way to do it is, is looking at medical practitioners and having them incorporated into their practice. So those are some of the things we're, we're hoping will stay in. And we're really pleased that have gotten into the Senate version of the bill. Um, and so are you and we'll pretty, see what happens. Yeah. Are you pretty confident that those programs will end up in the final version? Um, it, it takes a lot of audacity to be confident about anything in Washington. So, um, I've learned that you have to, you know, you have to wait till the final possible moment of passage before you know that your provision doesn't get ripped out, you know, in the dark of the night or the hour before it comes to the floor. But I feel good about the fact that those made it through the Senate version. And I think there's a lot of support for them. I know a lot of my colleagues in the house have have been supportive of them as well as members of the Senate. So I, I think those are good. I mean, let's face it. These are not, you know, major overhauls to crop subsidies or, you know, the, some of the big ticket items. It's not about food and nutrition um, in terms of like the SNAP benefit program or WIC. So I feel like those three things I just mentioned should be able to stay in there. And why haven't you uh, focused more on like the crop subsidy programs? Um, you know, I feel like most of your focus has been on sort of these small programs that support smaller um, producers. And I'm just curious, um, 
why you've stayed so laser focused on that and not gotten more involved in like the bigger titles? I think part of it for me is having been a member of the Agriculture Committee and then Agricultural Appropriations, we, we just feel like there's a, a role for us in, in protecting and enhancing the programs that we know that farmers in our state work on every day. I'm very supportive of the work that some of my colleagues do on um, reducing crop subsidies, putting caps on crop insurance, um, you know, relating it to whole farm income and a variety of other things. So I'm a hundred percent behind that, um, you know, that work. And usually those things are debated in floor amendments to the agricultural, to the farm bill when it comes up. So anything we can do to be supportive on that and to work with our colleagues, um, we're, we're right there. And there's actually, you know, at times some really positive bipartisan support for looking at those subsidies. We feel like if we could, you know, any money we could reduce there would be helpful in going to small to medium sized farmers, local food, organic food, the things that we really care about. So I'm 100 percent behind them. I think because they're they're kind of the big picture of the farm bill. They get debated in a different moment. And um, the the work that happens in the, you know, nuts and bolts of the farm bill tends to be more either protection enhancement or introduction of some of these programs that we've talked about. Um, it's, it's kind of more in the mechanics of it than um, in how we feel about it philosophically. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, so we have a few minutes, so let's talk a little bit about the tariffs. Um, I'm curious, you know, this is the other big farm policy, um, issue that's happening right now. Um, I'm curious, are you hearing a lot from farmers in Maine about how the tariffs are affecting them? Well, interestingly, I mean, most of the issues around farm tariffs have been more related to the commodity market. So I think if you're a soybean grower in Iowa right now, um, you know, hog producer, there's a, there's a variety of areas in agriculture, of course, that have been really dramatically affected. And they're the ones where the administration has been attempting to, to provide some aid. I, I don't think it will make a difference in the long run, but in Maine, the thing that we're laser focused on and really worried about is the lobster industry. And that's been hit hard by the Chinese tariffs. Um, uh, we have dealers in Maine who have really worked hard in the last decade to develop a, a market in China. And um, some of them who it's a big, big part of their business, particularly um, once the summer tourism season is over. And for many of them, it's it's basically gone or, or really very small. Um, I think I read that uh, the market, the, the, the market value of, of lobsters that we shipped to China last year was $128 million. And I think the whole lobster fishing industry is somewhere around $500 million in our state. So you can see it, it really is an important part of the market. Um, and our frustration, and we've met with the deputy trade rep, the, the entire delegation, you know, both sides of the aisle in the state of Maine are kind of looking for everything we could possibly do in this area. But our frustration is is that there just seems to be uh, arbitrary decisions being made at the administration. There doesn't seem to be a long-term game plan for what the negotiations are with right. China. And, right. um, you know, that, that makes it hard for us to go back to these dealers and even talk about what the potential solution is. We've, um, we've looked at ways to get um, some, 
financial support to them when when the the crop subsidies were being talked about the the ones to um to help with assistance to the like midwestern farmers we you know talked to the trade rep about having it be kind of surf and turf that there should be something also for the fishermen but even if we could get them some short term assistance these are markets as i said that they've worked on for a really long time and they're terrified of of losing them uh, losing them to the Canadians who, you know, are also a big lobster fishing industry or just, you know, not having them there. And and uh, this came up with the Secretary of Agriculture yesterday. We had um, the head of the Trade Association for Lobster Dealers there and some of the press asked him about it. And the, you know, the secretary said, well, you know, maybe we made a mistake with depending so much on China as a trading partner. And, you know, there's some argument you could make there. And we asked him for assistance. Um, there's there is a international trade program through the Department of Agriculture that has been used by the lobster industry to help expand the markets, and we want him to help them, you know, define new markets. But the fact is, there are so many people in China. It's such a huge share of the market. It would be very hard to, you know, go to a few other countries and begin to make up for what what we have going on there. And I'm sure that's true in agriculture, just as it is with lobsters. So. Uh, the 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 trade war, the tariff situation is a really frustrating issue of dealing with the administration, and and I hope we can find some way to relieve it in the future. Right. Yeah, and it's interesting you brought up that point because I was thinking about you know the the trade war, and it, obviously like lots of farmers, um, I don't want to um downplay how they're being affected financially, um, but you know I was sort of thinking, is there a chance that um the that this situation could kind of um, encourage like a sort of re-regionalization of markets like that would kind of have to depend on local food systems a little bit more. But it sounds like what you're saying, especially like with lobster is, you know, there's just, there's just so much lobster coming out of Maine and um, that that's not an option necessarily, right? Like you can't just say, okay, we're going to sell it here instead. Like it's not just a, there isn't another person waiting to buy it nearby. I mean, I don't think so. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of creative thinking going on right now. Um, one of the problems is we also have a trade issue with Europe. The The Canadians have signed a trade agreement with um, European countries, and we don't have a similar agreement. So we're also we're cut off in that avenue. And, and European sales are really important as well. So... Um, I do believe there are other markets out there and, you know, lobster is kind of a specialty food. Right. I don't know that you really greatly expand the market without dropping the price um, as far as regional foods go. But I think it's an interesting point that you brought up. And, you know, one question is, will there be, will there be some positive consequences from uh, these issues? And I think that's hard to say to a farmer right now who's struggling to figure out, you know, how am I going to sell my, you know, soybean crop and what am I going to do with the drop in prices? That said, you know, I mentioned earlier, we have a shortage of organic soybeans in this country. We have a shortage of organic corn. And, you know, one of the things we've pushed the USDA to do is um, give more support to farmers interested in transitioning into the organic market. And I have seen in in some crops where, you know, when the market changes, 
the price drops, it makes more farmers say, well, let me try organic because there's a better price there. And of course, from my perspective, it's, you know, it's more health. It's healthier for the consumers. It's healthier for the farmers who don't have to work with the same toxic chemicals. And it's obviously better for the environment. So if there was a good consequence that came out of it. Right. Like, let me try organic or let me try diversifying, right? Like specialty crops. Thanks so much for listening to this special edition episode of The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe, rate, and share it. See you next time.